Welcome to the Love Before 100 podcast. I'm Rachel Birch, and I'm here because everyone says dating in your 40s sucks. So I decided to make a game out of it. Part scavenger hunt, part bucket list. I made a list of all the ways I could meet my person. Then I assigned every task a points value. The goal now, find love before I hit 100. Points or years, whichever comes first. You got me shaking, This week, we cross, go to a psychic off the list. Okay, so the exact same day I put go see a psychic on the bucket list, I see someone post on Instagram that she had just seen a local psychic about dating. Of course, I take this as a nudge to book. I'm learning to lean more and more into trusting the plan that the universe has for me while also practicing discernment. Is this really the universe or is this me pretending it's the universe? So anyway. I manifest the opportunity and immediately book a FaceTime session. A couple days later, I'm chatting with a psychic. She tells me that in three weeks to three months, someone new is coming. Side note, that was two months and 28 days ago. She says, this is the type of guy I've never dated before. The opposite of what I know. She says, I'm going to get a bunch of guys who are just half interested. She says, I worry too much. Any hints on where I find my person, I ask? Online? I wouldn't be surprised, she replies. You need to know what you want to call him in. Create him. Make your list. She tells me that she can see him, that he's at least six foot, six foot, six one. He has a full head of hair, dark hair. He has really distinctive features. He's a good looking guy, but she doesn't know if he knows it. He's very casual, nonchalant about it. He kind of reminds her a little bit of an Italian, but she says she's not good at that stuff. He has a lot of spare time. He's very well-traveled and he's been married. He was married to his job for a time, but he's ready now. He wants a life partner. She tells me, I keep hearing it's right here. It could come to you. However, I need you to keep moving energy. Do you ever go out and about? I nod. Yeah, but you don't flirt. You need to make eye contact. Don't say anything. Just make eye contact. Just do it. Love is here. You just have to let it in. She ends with, have fun. Just have fun and don't make it too serious. Don't make it too serious. Don't make finding the love of my life, my person, so serious. Have you met me? I made a whole podcast about it. The skeptic in me is still there, and she's skeptical. But she really, really wants to believe. I mean, why would I not want to believe that a tall, handsome man, who is not like any man I've ever dated before, is right here and ready to love me? Yes, please. I'm just not sure. Okay, so anyway. Before we go forward, let me go back. I got a lot of messages about the last episode, about Mark. Everyone wanted to know what happened. So let's clear that up right now before we move forward. First of all, Mark was the past, like way, way the past. And as I mentioned last season, I don't want to go backwards. I want to go forwards. I told my friend Danielle that day that I was not interested in pursuing anything with Mark. He's fun and it's tempting, because there's an allure that the past has. And also, he came back. Remember I had that story that people never come back? And yes, it took 25 years, but he did come back. But like I said last season, sometimes it's okay when people don't come back. And I'm gonna go so far as to say sometimes, probably most of the time, it's actually a blessing. And as if I needed confirmation, which I did not, my fourth new friend that I made in December, the one that I referenced from the party last episode but didn't get to tell you about, 
she and I went for a beach walk. And while we were chatting, she mentioned Mark. She said that he had bugged her the whole night at the party to be set up with one of her friends. Of course he did. Thank you, universe. I had zero doubt in my mind that he wasn't my person, but confirmation and validation that I'm on the right track is always appreciated. I'm really learning to trust my gut this time around, and that was a slam dunk. Okay, so back to now. I'm sitting in Starbucks, working on the podcast, and a cute guy walks up and sits down next to me. I look over, and he smiles and says hi. I smile, say hi, and turn back to my computer. Rachel, no, that was an opening. I force myself to turn back. I smile and say, is that your breakfast? He nods. Is that a cookie? I ask. He smirks, takes the cookie, breaks it in half, and holds out one half of it to me, offering me half of his cookie. I frown and say, I can't have it. He stares at me. I say, I can't eat gluten. I feel compelled to add, it's an allergy. He asks me what I'm doing here, and I tell him the truth. I say, I came to get picked up on by guys. I tell him about the podcast, and since we're sitting next to the little library, I point and I tell him, yesterday, I put a book in there called Why Men Love Bitches. See? And I tell him how I use it to promote the podcast. He loves the idea and wants to bring some of the books he's written to put in there, too. He tells me he just came from a workout at the gym next door, and then he starts telling me all about himself. I'm just looking into his hazel eyes, listening. Apparently, he also grew up in the area, so I ask him, oh, how old are you? He's 36. Oh, yikes. That's 10 years younger than me. He tells me I should take his number. I open up my notes app and write down his name and number. He wants to make sure I got it right and asks to see. Reluctantly, after about an hour and a half of chatting with him, I excuse myself and tell him that I have to get going. It was tempting to stay, but I had things I needed to do. He stands up and gives me a hug. Whoa, he's tall. The next day, I text him so he has my number. And then I remember what the psychic said. My person, this tall, handsome guy who's just waiting to love me, could be online. So I open up my dating app and decide to change things up. My dating app profile is currently set to age range 42 to 52 and up to 22 miles away. So I decide to try extending the radius to 50 miles. I am now extended into Los Angeles and Riverside and also down to San Diego. I swipe mostly left again, meaning no, but about a handful of new guys in this new radius catch my eye. So I swipe right on them and keep going. Why do so many guys have photos with fish? I wonder out loud. It's like that old Chinese proverb, give a man a fish and he'll eat for a day. Give a man a picture of himself with that fish and he'll put it on his Bumble profile. Is it a message from the universe? Like there's many fish in the sea, but these fish are no longer in the sea. After about five minutes, probably less, I get bored. I change my radius back to 22 miles and shut the app. Later that day, I get a couple new matches. The one that interests me the most is a guy who lives in San Diego. He's handsome and seems athletic. He has a photo of himself playing golf and one playing baseball. And in one of his photos, I can see a tattoo on his upper left arm. Okay, Rachel, breathe. Part of his profile reads, I love happy hours, laughing, and that amazing feeling of fresh, clean sheets. I live in the moment and never dwell on the past. I always put my shopping cart away and I'll make you coffee every day. Sold. Bringing me coffee is my love language. I message him, happy Sunday, and a smiley face. A couple hours later, he replies, and the next day, we chat back and forth throughout the day and schedule our first date in Dana Point 
which is about halfway between where I live and he lives. On the drive down to the date, I tell myself, okay, Rachel, don't tell him everything about you. Leave some mystery. Like maybe if it comes up, tell him about being a lawyer. But then don't also say you're a comedian. Definitely don't mention the podcast. And above all, be normal. Because here's the thing. In the past, I've tended to lose my power when I get in front of a guy. That's the benefit of going on all these dates, taking men off the pedestal and being able to just be me. Last year, I set the goal for my personal development with my coach, Kyle, to be able to just be me in the following two scenarios, on stage performing comedy and also in front of men. I'm still working on these. On stage performing comedy is way easier for me than an audience of one. One single hot guy, I just melt into a puddle of babbling goo. It's super hot, I can assure you. Okay, and last thing, don't stay too long. Like maybe less than two hours. Four and a half hours later, we shut down the restaurant. I tell him pretty much everything about myself. We laugh when I say that I met this one guy, but he overshared and that was a red flag for me. I then sheepishly bow my head down and say, oh God, that guy is me. I totally overshared. We walk out into the parking lot and he asks, when can I see you again? We settle on Wednesday, a week away. I love that he already scheduled our next date. Then he says, I really want to kiss you right now, but I don't want to do that awkward, I don't kiss on the first date thing. So he pauses and looks at me. I scrunch up my face. I'm thinking. On the way down, I had prepared my response. I had planned to say, I don't kiss on the first date, but right now, I really wish I did. This was just something I was playing with. I've kissed people on the first date, and I have also not kissed people on the first date. Mostly, I don't kiss on the first date, but the truth was, I wanted to kiss him. So, he leans in and kisses me. As I drive home, I feel giddy. It was a really great date. Early the next morning, he texts, Good morning, Rachel. Thank you again for such a wonderful night. I really enjoyed your company and the amazing conversation. I'm really looking forward to the next one. Have a fantastic day today. Ugh, here we go. There's something powerful about an early morning text from a suitor. It says, hey, I'm thinking of you. And I'm thinking of you first thing in the morning. And I may not even have had my coffee yet. And you're on my mind. So that means I like you. And you're special and important. And there's definitely a future here. A couple hours later, another text comes in. But this one is from the cookie guy. It's just a picture of the Starbucks library. I reply, did you put your book in? And are you the one who took my Why Men Love Bitches book? Now I'm smiling. I feel happy. There's a high from a good date and also from knowing I have options. The high of that first date lasts another couple days and I'm genuinely looking forward to our next date. Although I haven't heard anything from him since that good morning text the day after our date. We had talked a lot about communication and how important consistency was to me. So it seems weird, but I rationalize Maybe he's the type of guy who texts just to make plans and leaves the getting to know each other for in-person dates. I'm sure I'll hear from him by Monday. So now it's Monday and I still haven't heard anything. I start to realize I know this pattern. I know how this goes. They just disappear. Just dead air, silence, crickets. I know there's still a couple days before our date, but not having heard a single peep, including where we're supposedly going for this date, feels weird. I start to feel sad. There's really nothing to be sad about. I hardly know this guy. It was just, I felt excited. 
My friend Misha and I have been chatting nonstop about the status and analyzing all the angles. She points out that I have a tendency to prioritize other people over my own schedule. She's right. Because my schedule is so flexible, I often move things around or end up waiting on plans to accommodate other people, specifically other male people. I feel angry a little bit at them, but mostly at myself. So that night, I wake up at 3 a.m. I pick up my phone and delete the date for Wednesday in my calendar. I'm tired of waiting on people and of making adjustments to my schedule for people. I decide I'm getting my priorities straight again. And then I remember I'm also supposed to have a date with the fireman on Thursday. But here's the deal with the fireman. He had texted me on New Year's Eve and then nothing until a week later. And then he pops up with, how's the new year so far? I reply, it's been good. How about you? Keeping busy? Happy? Yes, I'm doing good. Kind of busy. I'd be happier if I got to do something with you sometime. But yes, happy. How about you? I reply, that'd make me happier too. And just leave it. And then another week goes by. And then he texts, how are you? When are you free to get together? I give him a number of options. And he replies, Thursday might be our best option. I have my kids the other days. I immediately reply with my availability for Thursday and then never heard back. I hadn't even put the fireman in my calendar yet, but I open his contact in my phone. First, I consider blocking his number, but I don't want to ghost anyone. I don't like how that feels. And it really doesn't take that much effort to let someone know what you're thinking instead. So I change his name in my phone to he's not for you. I have nothing bad to say about this guy. It's just not what I'm looking for. I go back to sleep. I feel like I'm improving slowly, but I'm getting there. Okay, so now it's Wednesday, the night of our supposed date, and still nothing from the guy from San Diego. Hit me with a two by four. I get the message. Then a text comes through around 1.30. It's from, he's not for you, formerly known as the fireman. It says, can you do an early lunch tomorrow? My son has a basketball game in the afternoon. I honestly didn't think I was going to hear from him at all, but I'm not impressed. It's been a week and it's the day before we were supposed to meet. So I reply to him and match his lackluster energy. I say, hi, I didn't hear back from you. So I made other plans for tomorrow. Within seconds, he replies with just, sorry. And then 30 minutes later, he adds, was just trying to juggle a couple things that came up. My apologies for not keeping you in the loop. I don't reply. I don't have anything to say. And also, I just feel done here. He's a very nice guy, but I want someone who's actually excited to see me and makes an effort. And that's just never gonna be this guy. So now it's Friday, two days after my date was supposed to happen. I never heard anything from him, not a peep. Okay, so what do I wanna do with this guy? I have a couple options. I could do nothing and just let it go, or I could text him. I choose the latter option. I feel like communication is always a better option than silence, although silence is definitely a form of communication. It communicates a lot. So I type out, hi, I just wanted to say thank you again for a really great night of connection. I understand things changed for you, and I just wanted to say I really enjoyed meeting you, and I wish you the best. I read it over. It looks good. Vulnerable, friendly, open. I add a smiley face and hit send. It won't surprise you to hear I never got a response. Nothing. It felt good though. As they say, I kept my side of the street clean and that's all I can do. Goodbye, guy from San Diego. One thing to know about this dating game is there's always another guy or multiple guys waiting right around the corner. 
Two days later, I match a guy I went to high school with. He was a year ahead of me and we didn't know each other, but I knew who he was. We have a lot of mutual friends and I recognize him, but I know he most likely won't know who I am. His dating app profile says that he's spiritual and into personal development, which is now a must for me. We chat a bit and discuss some of our favorite personal development books. And then he suggests, maybe we should go on a personal development date, a daytime deal where we read for an hour and discuss over lunch or dinner. We make a date and meet at the library. I go in and find him holding two books. He hands me Eckhart Tolle's A New Earth. We walk around to find a place to sit and I whisper to him ominously, I have something I should tell you. He looks at me, waiting patiently, and after about a minute of silence, I say, I actually know you. We went to high school together. You were a year ahead of me. He seems pleasantly surprised by this revelation. We sit and read for a couple minutes, and then, all of a sudden, we hear some loud shouting. Remember, we're at a library. It's supposed to be silent. When we hear someone shout, asshole, we decide, maybe it's time to go get something to eat. We walk down the stairs and out the front door. Just then, two fire trucks pull up. I avert my eyes. Rachel, don't check out the fireman in front of him. I look over. I can't help myself. He asks if we should drive together, and I tell him that normally I don't drive with strangers. But he adds, yeah, but we know each other. He walks over to the passenger side and opens the door for me. I like this. Men don't really have the opportunity to do this for me because I have such safety issues that I always drive myself. I know this feels really good, and I want more of this. He drives to a local burger joint. We talk about all the people we both know, and we talk about where we live. I mention where I used to live, and he tells me that his ex lives in that neighborhood. He says her name. I say, oh yeah, I know her. And then my eyes get big, and I say, oh, I know her. Oh, yeah, I've heard about you. Damn it. I can't remember any details, since usually I didn't really listen when she complained about him. But in this moment, I really wish I could remember. While he's talking, I'm searching my mind for memories of our conversations. What was she always complaining about? I didn't know her at all, and we only crossed paths a couple times, but each time she would ask me legal questions. I can tell you, as an ex-attorney, I just feel like litigation isn't usually the best course of action. Whenever you can avoid it, do. So I would often encourage her to go another route. I sit there thinking, buddy, I saved you from so much headache. You have no idea. You really owe me. And no, of course, I don't tell him that. Not on a first date. We drive back to the library and then he kisses me. He kisses me again. He pulls back and says, wow. I smile. You're a really great kisser, he says. I say, thank you for that feedback. If you've been listening to the podcast, you know by now that I am not smooth. Thank you for that feedback. I think I'm supposed to say maybe, so are you? The next day I get a text from him. It says, I had a really great time with you last night. And then a second text, which says, and I really, really enjoyed kissing you. I reply, I did too. And then, nothing. Now it's four days later. I decide that I'm not gonna jump to conclusions. He's probably really busy. Everything went well. What could have happened? Nothing. So I decide to text him. I have this article about spirituality that I've been wanting to send him. So I text him a link to the article and a short note. I wait. I never hear back. Nothing. Not even a thumbs up. That night, I cry driving back from my class because I don't understand. Two weeks in a row, I had dates with guys who came on super hot and heavy, professing how much they liked me, and then quickly flipped a switch 
and it's done. It's hard to not think there's something you're doing wrong or more profoundly, there's something wrong with you. Honestly though, I can say that after that roller coaster of emotion with the high of a really great date and kiss and the low of being ghosted, I find myself emotionally exhausted. I hate this, it fucking sucks. I start to wonder if someone put a curse on me. Like, how can this happen? Honestly, at this point, it's the only explanation that makes any sense to me. So I reach out to my coach, Jamie. I need her to check my energy. She tells me that no, there's no curse. Damn it. And so I do what I always do. I lean into growth. How can I learn from this? What can I try differently? How can I prevent this from happening again? Not that I can control what the guy does, but how can I control my part? Because now I'm realizing I did this to myself. I had let my mind wander and get excited and my hopes and expectations soared. I had allowed false intimacy to build too early and I attached. Even when I swore that I wouldn't, I attached to the idea of having possibly found a person I might want a relationship with. And so, of course, there was a crash. I decide I want to explore being even less attached. What would it feel like to have no attachment to seeing someone again? I mean, rule number one, we know this, but for some reason, I can't seem to grasp it. Do not attach, not even a little bit. Next, I ask myself, if the world is a mirror of our own internal beliefs, what is this showing me? Where am I ghosting myself? I think back to what Misha said, that I prioritize dates or men before things I want to do. As I mentioned, I had rationalized that I have such a flexible schedule, I can do that. But now I decide I'm going to stop doing that. I'm really going to focus on keeping my commitments to myself. I'm currently reading Atomic Habits, and this goes perfectly with the lessons in that book. So since then, I'm really working on keeping my commitments to myself. Okay, so now that catches you up from New Year's Day to the beginning of March. And now it's the weekend before season two of the podcast launches. And I'm headed to Sedona for a personal development retreat led by my friend and mentor, Kyle Cease. I'm going with my dear friend, Roseanne. Roseanne is the former prosecutor who helped me create the security plan back in episode two of season one when I was spending the night at a hotel in San Jose with the guy that I met on a plane. Okay, the guy from the plane. Let's talk about that guy just for a second also known as Minnesota. When I started this season, I was adamant that I wouldn't talk about him or mention him at all. Not because he's a bad guy, he's not, but because I judged that I should be 100% over that situation. I felt like, what's wrong with you? Why does he even still come up for you? Well, that's attachment. When I think back, I often say to Misha, I wish I could go back and do that all over from this place from the person I am now with all the knowledge and healing. Not because I think it would end differently. It would absolutely end the same way. But at least I would have enjoyed it. Just enjoyed the rush of that connection and the attraction without attachment. What would that have felt like? I realize I just have this fear that I might not feel the same feelings that I felt with him, like the intensity of it, that excitement, that giddiness, that fluttering, that anxiety. Hello? Maybe what I felt with him was unhealed, unhealthy emotions. I start to worry that unhealthy attachment might feel better than healthy passion. I think that's the pull of toxic relationships for people, the intensity of the high 
and then the fall. So on the first day of the retreat, I write in my notebook, it's okay to never feel what I felt with him again. I was giving myself permission and perspective to allow for a different type of attraction. And under that statement, I wrote, please help me. I didn't think it was related at the time because this was based on Kyle telling us that as helpers in the world, sometimes we're afraid to ask for help ourselves. So he told us to write that down. Please help me. Asking the universe to continue to assist me. But remember, the universe is always listening and there to co-create with you. Okay, so back to Minnesota for a second. Even though I selfishly didn't want to mention him, I want to cover two things in case it might help someone else. Number one, if you're still holding on to someone and you're judging yourself, stop it. Healing has its own timeline, especially for women when dealing with someone you've slept with. My coach Jamie told me that it takes a full year to completely release the emotional bond that's created from sex for women. So as someone who's prone to attachment, I can tell you that I'm taking that very seriously. Since Minnesota, I've only kissed the men I've been out with. And most of them I haven't even kissed. But the most I've done is kiss. I'm protective of my body, but I'm even more protective of my heart. And two, I want to own my very big part in getting hurt there. I'm not in any way blaming myself or not saying that some of Minnesota's behavior at the end wasn't the best. What I'm saying is that my attachment, my inexperience in this ridiculous game of dating, my willingness to ignore red flags, very heavily contributed to my own pain. Tony Robbins says, freedom is taking 100% responsibility. So I'll say this, going forward, I will continue to focus on releasing attachment because as Buddha says, attachment is the root of all suffering. So hopefully this will be the last time Minnesota comes up. But if I think it will serve you guys, I promise to share without judging myself. Hopefully we can all move past that. But one of my goals with this podcast is to help those of you suffering in silence know you're not alone. And more importantly, there's nothing wrong with you. Releasing attachment is only gonna make things easier. And I will say one final thing. I really do actually miss my Eric Church concert tea. Okay, so back to Sedona. I'm there with my friend, Roseanne. We haven't seen each other in, I think, two years. We used to do a lot of transformational travel together, meaning we'd travel for personal development retreats. We've been to the south of France, Alaska, Monterey, and now Sedona. I'm spending just three nights there with her, so I have no intention to meet or date any men. But I'm curious to see what Arizona has available, so I opened my dating app to switch my location to Arizona. Rosanna and I have both flew into Phoenix. We meet up, have lunch, and then drive to Sedona. Sedona is stunning. It's breathtaking, and I can feel the energy. We drive down the main street filled with chakra imaging centers and crystal stores. There's definitely magic here. We settle in at the hotel and discuss dinner. As she's showering, I open the dating app, just out of curiosity. Oh shit, there's like 300 new likes. I have the feature where you can see who has right swiped, meaning yes, on your profile. And between Phoenix and Sedona, there are over 300 new men available. Again, I'm not interested in meeting anyone out here. And honestly, at this moment, I'm overwhelmed by the number. I'm about to close the app, but at the top of the area where you can see all the right swipes, there are four super swipes. So super swipes are a feature that mean the person has used one of their very limited special star button swipes to like you. This will bring them to the top of the page and show that they particularly like your profile. 
Again, I'm not looking for anything, but I decided to check these out. The first guy is located in Phoenix, which is a two-hour drive away, and he also lives in Phoenix. Why am I even bothering? The second, though, he's cute. And it looks like he's also just visiting Sedona since he lives in Washington. His name is Patrick. And, oh, he's only a mile away. And he's a fireman. Of course he is. It's funny because I had recently decided I was not going to match any more firemen. Here's why. A couple weeks back, I was having my hair blown out before my date with a cop. And the woman doing my hair said, oh, so you're a badge bunny. I was horrified and offended. What? No. What is that? A cop groupie? This was the only cop I had ever gone out with. And I was way more into firemen. Hello, we know this. So later, I Google it. What is a badge bunny? Google says it's a woman who is romantically linked to cops. Phew, no, that is not me. But the next entry reads, what is a badge bunny for firemen? Uh Uh-oh, could this be me? The answer reads, there are a number of names for firefighter groupies. Ugh, groupies? That stings. But the most appropriate is a bunker bunny. There's also badge bunnies, uniform chasers, hose hose, fireflies, Fire hose, spelled H-O-E-S, clever. Hero chasers, turnout chasers, and hose lovers. Yikes, I'm not a groupie of any kind. I just don't discriminate against extremely masculine men. Men who risk their lives on a daily basis. Men who run into fire. Men who drive around in big red trucks. Men who can make a pair of suspenders look like, oh shit, I'm sounding dangerously close to groupie territory. I think it's time to shift gears. This doesn't sound like an effective way to pick a life partner. So I remind myself, again, unless you really like the whole profile, you can't swipe right on them, especially if he's a fireman. Firemen now have what we call in the law a higher standard of proof. It has to be a really good profile to overcome the fireman groupie presumption. But I like this guy's profile. Specifically, I like that his profile says, to be honest, the swiping thing is rather obnoxious makes people seem disposable. And I'm looking for someone who I can actually spend time with. Besides, I'm not planning to meet up with him. It'll just be an interesting conversation. So I decide to match him. I don't even look at the other two super swipes because why am I even wasting my time? I start the conversation with him. Happy Friday. Are you in Sedona for work or play? He replies pretty quickly with a, just a vacation trip. How are you? We chat and he tells me that he's here alone and came to hike and check out the scenery. He sends me a couple pictures from his hike. We exchange phone numbers and I tell him that I'm headed out to dinner, but I can text later. We text a bunch that evening. And then he suggests maybe meeting for a drink the next day, Saturday, his last night in town, or catching the sunset from the energy vortex that Roseanne and I were planning to go to. I check with Roseanne and she's okay with me meeting up with him. She's excited for me, and she says that she's going to read and do some work after dinner. So I text and say I can meet him after the retreat is over and also after I have dinner with Roseanne, so around 8.30. I suggest the restaurant that's attached to our hotel for ease and safety, and also because it's open until 10 p.m. Sedona doesn't have many restaurants that stay open late. I don't tell him that we're staying here because I don't want it to be like, hey, come meet me for a drink at my hotel. He says, that's perfect. It isn't far from where I'm staying. Later. He texts me his full name and his employer's name. He says, for your friend's peace of mind. I really like that he does that. So it's now 8.30. He texts that he's at the restaurant and that it's packed. I get there and by some miracle, 
we get a table. We sit down and order drinks. He's even cuter in person. And I really like his vibe. He's calm and, I don't know, grounded. We sit there and talk until the restaurant closes at 10. I'm not exactly ready to leave, but I can't tell if he's enjoying himself or not. He suggests we go sit outside by the fire pit and continue our date. Oh, okay. I guess he's also enjoying my company. We sit by the fire pit and talk more. We talk about his life, his aspirations, and his plans for the future. We talk about his travels and his interests. Don't worry, we also talk plenty about me. I look at him and think, this is nice. This is the kind of guy I would want to find at home. This feels good. I think to myself, yeah, I'd enjoy being with him even if he was a teacher or a lawyer or a plumber. He's intelligent and interesting and seems honorable. He tells me he hates the part of dating where he has to tell a date that he doesn't feel any chemistry. This is just conversation. I can tell he's not saying that to me. But I reply, wait, you don't just ghost? You actually tell them? He looks at me, confused, and says, yeah, we're adults. Just then it seems to start to rain. I say to him, is it raining? He picks a little piece of ice off his sweater and says, no, it's hail. Ha, fire and ice, I think to myself. We decide to go for cover and head towards the lobby. As we're saying goodbye, he tells me to step up onto the stairs so he can give me a hug. He's 6'4", so I actually have to step up two stairs to reach his neck. We hug. I, I have to lean up against him since I'm so far away. And then he kisses me. Holy shit. That was a good kiss. Damn it. Now what? He kisses me again. We stand there kissing for probably 20 minutes. He kind of makes a comment about if I didn't have to get up so early, he'd suggest watching a movie. Something that didn't sound creepy, just like he didn't want our date to end either. So I suggest, maybe we go sit in your car. I say, like, like for 15 minutes, maybe, since I have to get up early for day two of the retreat. I'm actually supposed to get up at like 6 a.m. and meditate for an hour before it starts. He takes my hand and walks me to the parking lot. We get in his rental car. He kisses me again. He turns his hat around backwards and says, this feels like high school. We giggle. Then I hear the music playing. It's the 80s band Cinderella. I say, wait, is this Cinderella? He says, yeah, the radio is paired to my phone. I was listening to it earlier. I can change it. I say, no, I like it. And now it really does feel like high school. We talk and kiss and kiss and talk. And then nobody's fool comes on. Is this a sign? Am I a fool? I flop back into the passenger seat and let out a big sigh. That noise is so sexy, he says. Ugh. I don't care. I go back to kissing him. I think we were in the car for over an hour. And then he looks at me, smirks, and says, that's it, I'm taking you to my hotel. As he goes to start the car, I gasp. No, wait, we can't. He stops and looks over at me. Ugh, it's so tempting. The angel and the devil on my shoulders are already going at it, loudly talking over each other. My first concern is always safety. Right after my divorce, when I first started contemplating dating, my biggest fear was that someone was going to try and steal my organs. I know it probably sounds crazy or like an exaggeration, but I've always been a worst case scenario thinker. Eventually, I realized that was most likely not going to happen, but there are other concerns. Physical safety, yes, but also what about STDs? And then more recently, I realized the biggest risk for me was actually emotional. But. I do feel safe. I think I can trust this guy. I mean, he did send me his full name and employer's name, right? Yeah, but 
how do we know he didn't lie about that? I didn't expect to be in this situation, so I didn't Google him beforehand. I can't exactly take out my phone and Google him now, can I? I turn back to him, sigh, and say, okay, show me your driver's license. He pulls out his wallet. Here, he says, showing me his license. And here's my fireman card and my concealed weapons permit and my Costco card. Damn, he's so adorable. Okay, so now that I've confirmed that he is who he says he is, now what? It's not the same as a background check, but wait, he has a concealed weapons permit. Don't they have to background check him for that? Shit, I don't know. Okay, fine. Let's just assume we will be physically safe. What about emotional safety? Are you okay going to his hotel and then potentially never hearing from him again? Probably not. I'm still learning the art of non-attachment. And I can tell you, I already like spending time with this guy. This is probably not a good idea. Plus, I can hear the Instagram gurus now. Men don't want a relationship with a woman who goes back to their hotel on the first date. Yeah, well, I have needs, damn it. And I'm tired of always doing the right thing. Oh, and also, didn't I just ask the universe for help? Didn't I just say I wanted an experience of good, healthy passion? What if this is the universe answering my call for help? I mean, if the universe was gonna send me someone to show me good, healthy passion, wouldn't it be obvious? Wouldn't it be a sexy fireman? I mean, I could be potentially risking disappointing the universe by refusing its gift. Who am I to say no to the universe? Wait, am I actually considering going to his hotel with him? Okay, but here's the thing. Remember just a few minutes ago when I was sitting by the fire with a firefighter and it started hailing? Remember the whole fire and ice moment? Do you know the spiritual significance of fire and ice? Well, let me tell you. Fire and ice represent the duality of human nature. Fire represents the fiery passion of our emotions and ice represents the cool logic of our intellect. I mean, if being at a spiritual retreat in a spiritual location with a spiritual element situation isn't a sign that this opportunity is a gift from the universe and therefore not only safe, but also a mandatory part of my growth, well, then I don't know what is. I stopped myself. I can see where this is going. You see, I was a really good lawyer back in the day, and this is starting to feel like a very persuasive closing argument. Your honor, the defense rests. But as I sit there, thinking about the conflict raging between my desire for passion and my intellect, which values physical and emotional safety, I have to ask myself, Rachel, is this really the universe? Or is this just you wanting it to be the universe? I hope you loved that episode of Love Before 100. Be sure to tune in next time to see what happens and to help me cross another thing off my bucket list. And in the meantime, Follow us on Instagram at lovebefore100 to guarantee you don't miss a thing.